guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty well. I don't Great. really have any follow-up to that. It's fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. <laughs> Everything is fine and hot and steamy and miserable Mandy, outside. <laughs> I'm so angry with the heat. Like I was like, I can't wait for summer to be over. Come to find out, summer hasn't started. even started. Oh, oh, it hasn't even started. We still have like two weeks. I said it to my son or, you know, in the car. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for summer to be over. He's like, it hasn't started. I was like, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's right. I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it has. there's been some really, really hot days. And this morning, especially, it was awful because it rained early yeah. in the day. And then the sun came out and that just heated things up really nice. And, um, yeah, it's just been kind of miserable. So yeah, weather updates are now basically just, it's hot. <laughs> this is when people are like, I would never live in Florida. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Stay home. It's rough now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're get right into the episode for this week since we do not really have much else to say ourselves. So it really doesn't matter what part of the country or really what part of the world you even live in. Every area, every city comes with good and bad. Lula, Georgia seems to be more good than bad, but then again, it is a very small, very quiet town of only about 3,000 people. But crime and unsavory activity has a way of always finding a way, even in some of the most tightly knit communities. Within the limits of Lula, Georgia exists a place called Belton Bridge Park, situated right off the Chattahoochee River. So while that might sound like a lovely place to have a picnic on the riverbank, Belton Bridge Park isn't really that kind of park. In fact, it's more just a parking lot than it actually is a park in any traditional sense of the word. This park had no amenities, no benches, no picnic tables, no grills, and no lighting. Obviously, there were no facilities there either. They just had a small boat ramp and a generic old little sign that said there were park hours from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Belton Bridge Park is off the beaten path in an isolated location, making it an attractive spot for those looking to stir up a little bit of trouble. Things like mudding, partying, drug use, and drinking were all popular activities at this park, and it had also become a known dumping ground for murder victims. There are areas around the park that officers can't even really get to with patrol cars, and the lack of lighting makes it easy to conceal criminal activity, especially at night. From 1979 to 2004, there were four different murders that took place at Belton Bridge Park. We're going to briefly talk about the first four murders before we get into the main story this week. In May of 1979, a man named Morgan Whitlock called for police to arrest another man, Edmund Turner, for unknown reasons. Edmund was released from police custody later that same day, and he was pretty angry about having to go through that whole ordeal. Edmund started drinking, tried to blow off some steam, and at some point, he decided to go meet up with his friends Dexter, Keith, and Jackie. They were all playing pool at Dexter's house, so Edmund went over to join in. Also, I've never met a person in real life named Dexter. Just, have you met one? I've never I met one. I have never met a single person named Dexter, but I do know somebody who has a dog named Dexter. There you go. But I'm convinced that no one actually has that name. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not like a real theory I have, but it just popped in my head. I'll continue. So when Edmund arrived, he was packing a gun, already drunk, and he's ranting about Morgan Whitlock, this man who had him arrested earlier that day. So Edmund wanted to get revenge, and his idea was for Keith to burn down Morgan's trailer for a sum of money, of course. So the four men left to go buy more alcohol, and on the way to the liquor store, they discussed this plan for arson. 
It's unclear exactly what happened next, but apparently Edmund did not pay Keith enough money and things escalated very quickly from there. Keith ended up killing Edmund and then the other two men, Dexter and Jackie, picked up Edmund's body and put it in the trunk of Jackie's car. The men then went back to Dexter's house to figure out what to do next. So Keith told Dexter to drive Edmund's truck and follow him and have Jackie drive his own car with Edmund's body in the trunk. The men all meet up on this dirt road just outside of Belton Bridge Park. Jackie then moves Edmund's body back into his own truck. Not really sure why he didn't start with putting him in his truck to begin with, but really it's neither here nor there. They end up moving him to the truck and then Keith pushed the truck into the lake. Keith wanted to burn Jackie's car since it was full of evidence from having this body inside the trunk, but Jackie didn't want to do that. He wanted to make it look like his car had been stolen, so he asked if he could remove the radio and tires instead of burning it. Keith said okay, and he offered to help take the tires off. He pretended to be struggling with it, so Jackie went over to him to help. As he bent down, Keith suddenly shot Jackie in the head three times. Keith ordered Dexter to put Jackie's body in the front seat of his car, and Dexter did as he was told, even cutting Jackie's throat with a pocket knife, which we're not really clear why, as he had already been dead, he was shot in the head three times, and then Keith and Dexter lit the car on fire. So it's believed that Jackie was killed because Keith thought he was a liability when it came to Edmund's murder. Keith ended up being acquitted of Edmund's murder, but he pleaded guilty to killing Jackie, and he was given a death sentence for that crime. Dexter was found guilty in Jackie's murder and was sentenced to life in prison. That story blows my mind. You're going to kill Morgan, and you somehow end up killing two separate people that were helping you kill Morgan? Yeah, that that's a wild. That was a wild ride, that one, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there was I a lot going on yeah. in like... None of it planned. And it all happened, yeah, very quickly in the span of like just a couple of hours. That Wow. Just crazy. So the second murder that took place at Belton Bridge Park was in August of 1981. 23-year-old Mark DeSnoyers was traveling from North Carolina back to his home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida after visiting with his family. On the way, he spotted 19-year-old William Page and 20-year-old Gregory Goines hitchhiking on I-85 in North Carolina. So Mark stopped to pick them up. He and the hitchhikers then stopped in South Carolina to get gas and buy beer and fireworks. The road trip had turned into kind of more of a party on wheels by this point. These three young men were smoking joints and they were taking some pills that Mark had, you know, as they drove along. When they reached Georgia, they got off the interstate hoping to find somewhere to buy more drugs, which, again, is just wild and crazy to me. Even in 1981, I just, I mean, maybe it was just a different time, but can you imagine just getting off the highway randomly in a place you have no idea where you are and just looking for a person to buy drugs from? That's no, like... No. I thought you had to know somebody to get I, drugs. Me I too, that was the right? whole thing. <laughs> exactly. So um, they actually couldn't find any. Um, so one of the hitchhikers, William, began arguing with Mark. The other hitchhiker, Gregory, had been asleep in the back seat, but when he heard this fighting, he kind of came to and woke up and saw that William and Mark were hitting each other. Mark reached to grab a pair of scissors that he kept near the front seat of the car, but William was quicker on the draw and already had his pocket knife out. William stabbed Mark in the left chest and killed him. He then took over driving for a few miles before they dumped Mark's body. One of the hitchhikers claimed they dumped Mark's body in the river, while the other said that they left him on the roadside. The men then drove Mark's car to West Virginia. 
About six weeks later, the badly decomposed body of Mark was found lodged between some dead trees in the Chattahoochee River. Officers in Georgia started investigating and learned that someone had seen William driving around in a car that matched the description of Mark's. William and Gregory were found and arrested and then charged with Mark's murder. William ended up being found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison, where he remains to this day. And Gregory was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and sentenced to 20 years. His current status, though, is unknown. Um, He is actually not listed in the inmate database, so he may have been released by now. A few years after Mark was killed, a woman was also killed there. Sadly, sheriff's officials weren't able to confirm her identity or find a name for her. Then, in 2004, tragedy struck again when a 20-year-old man named James Carlton Smith was found stabbed to death in Belton Bridge Park. James had been at a football game with three of his friends on the evening of August 21st. After the game, they headed to the Belton Bridge Park area because there was a party going on out there. As we said, that was kind of a common party spot where people would just go and gather. So while they were at this party, two men got into a fight, and one of them was 20-year-old James Grizzle, and the other was an unknown man. So James Smith tried to intervene and stop this fight, and he ended up getting stabbed three times by James Grizzle. He was taken to a hospital where he later died of his injuries. The police had a really hard time investigating his murder because nobody else at the party saw the two men fighting in the first place, and only one out of 15 people said they ever saw uh, James Grizzle with a knife. He was charged with the murder, but he did end up being acquitted. So those are just a few of the crimes that have taken place at Belton Bridge Park, and that will bring us up to um, today's story, but we're going to get into it after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. If you haven't tried Brightland's Alive Olive Oil yet, consider this your sign. Brightland's Alive Olive Oil is a superior olive oil, and I'm now a fan for life. Brightland has a duo of extra virgin olive oils that will absolutely take your meals to the next level. This dynamic duo is known as Awaken Alive, and you just need to be awake and alive to see what it can do for your next meal. Brightland is different from other olive oils because they only use the freshest, healthiest olive oils and vinegars that are made from the freshest local harvests that are grown without pesticides in California. Unlike other olive oils, Brightland's olive oils are not damaged by exposure to heat, light, or air, or even made with fillers. Their olives are harvested early in the season and pressed within 90 minutes of harvest so they have the highest quality of oil possible, and most importantly, they have the best flavor. Brightland Awake Olive Oil has a robust flavor and pairs perfectly with breads and in hearty soups. And Alive is the smoother olive oil of the two, and it's perfect for roasting or sautéing vegetables, which I love to do, or putting on salads. I'm a big vegetable fan, and being able to get even more flavor from my vegetables is key to enjoying them. Go to brightland.co slash murder to try the duo and give your cooking some added flair and flavor. That's B-R-I-G-H-T-L-A-N-D dot C-O slash murder to save 10% on your order of the duo. Thanks, Brightland, for sponsoring this podcast. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. And now back to the episode. 
So before the break, we were talking about these three murders that had taken place over a couple decades in Belton Bridge Park. So that brings us up to this main story this week. And this is about a murder that took place on Valentine's Day in 2010. It was around 9 p.m. that night when Stacy Sheck dialed 911 and frantically told the operator that she had just found her husband, Richard, dead at Belton Bridge Park. When officers arrived, they quickly assessed the scene and saw that Richard's body was laying next to his truck and he had been shot three times in the chest and abdomen, twice in the face, and once in the hand with a 9mm gun. Robbery was quickly ruled out as a motive because Richard's watch and his wedding ring were all still on, his $40,000 truck was still there, and it had $40 of cash inside of it. Police believe that Richard got out of his truck for some reason and possibly walked towards another vehicle that had shown up when he was shot. When Stacy Sheck arrived at the park to meet Richard, she saw his body on the ground when the headlights from her car lit up the area. This area, as we said before, is very secluded. There's no pavement, no lights. It's kind of a sketchy place to be meeting up at night anyway, so police had a ton of questions. At the police station, officers attempted to get more details. Stacy told them that she and Richard had just seen each other in the hours before he was dead. That afternoon, when Stacy left work, she drove to Cleveland, Georgia to take care of her grandparents who needed round-the-clock care. This was something Stacy helped her family out with, and Richard met her there that evening as well. With it being Valentine's Day, Richard and Stacy made a plan to exchange cards somewhere quiet and romantic, and evidently they decided on Belton Bridge Park. It's quiet, yes, romantic, not really from what we've heard so far. So you can imagine that the officers are a little confused when Stacy said that was their chosen Valentine's meeting spot. Richard and Stacy had only been married for two years, but when he married Stacy, he also chose her three kids from a previous marriage. For Stacy, her marriage to Richard was the fifth time she walked down the aisle, and she already had three older boys. Her son DJ was the oldest, followed by Keith, who was 14, and Kevin, who was 10. Richard actually adopted the two younger boys, and according to family members, he was really a great father figure to the boys. Richard was originally from New Jersey. He was a good-natured and beloved friend and a valued member of his family. He kept himself busy with his passion for helping others and his avid enthusiasm for hot air ballooning. He actually flew them often. I've also never met somebody that's flown hot air balloons. Have you? I, I know they exist. Not that's fl- I don't know anybody who has piloted flood hot air balloons, but I know that you can do that here in Central Florida if you want to. There's a place that's like down there off of I-4, and you can see the hot air balloons going up sometimes, but I've looked it up, and you can do that, like, as a thing. You wouldn't do goat yoga with me. Well, you did say that you were going to, and then the pandemic happened, and you got out of that, but maybe I can get you on a hot air balloon. Maybe we can take this a goat with us. This does not sound like, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. I've been skydiving, and somehow a hot air balloon sounds much more terrifying. I'm a little scared of hot air balloon, um, that whole thing, yeah. I, I don't know if I like that. I, yeah. I get weirded out because of like the fire that you have to have in there. And then like you're literally just in a basket like floating right? around. And it feels like one gust of wind. And yeah, it's like, I don't like that's that. all over. Yeah, I'm good on that. <laughs> okay. I'm not doing yoga either, but I'm not doing this either. <laughs> <laughs> Richard really loved most outdoorsy things. He was a Boy Scout leader and a soccer coach who loved to ride his motorcycle and to cook. Parents of the other Boy Scouts that Richard led said they absolutely loved him. Many people described him as the kind of guy who was always there for you. He was kind and gentle and never met a stranger. 
Although Richard had obtained an art degree from Auburn University, his full-time work at the time of his death was as a facilities manager at a Gwinnett County medical building. He actually met Stacy in 2009 when they ran a summer scouting camp together. Stacy worked as an office administrator at Georgia Spine and Neurosurgery Center, and some sources said she was a surgical assistant, while others said she was an administrator. She was born in 1971 and raised by her mother, Raina, but her childhood was really tarnished when she became the victim of molestation, a fact that will come up again later in the story. Before Stacy ended her interview with the police after Richard was found dead, she openly admitted that she had been involved in a long-standing affair with a 38-year-old man named Juan Reyes. This affair had been going on for years. Of course, investigators immediately asked if Juan could be responsible for her husband's death, and she said that she didn't believe Juan would actually kill Richard. But they started looking into him anyways, obviously. Despite it being the middle of the night, they went straight to Juan's house looking for him, but he wasn't there. The officers waited until the next day and finally found Juan at the spine clinic where Stacy worked. He was brought to the station for an interview. Juan claimed that he had nothing to do with Richard's murder, and he agreed to take a polygraph to prove his innocence, but the results of that polygraph turned out to be inconclusive. Juan explained that he had been trying to mend things with his ex-wife, and he actually wanted to get back together with her, and he only thought of Stacy as what he called a means to an end, and so therefore he really had no motive to murder her husband. On the night of February 14th, Juan and his ex-wife actually went to Blockbuster, and they spent the night together, and officers were able to confirm both parts of his alibi, and they were satisfied to no longer consider him a suspect. Back at Belton Bridge Park, investigators found tire tracks near Richard's body that didn't match Richard's truck or Stacy's vehicle, so the first priority became to figure out what kind of tires these tracks came from so they could narrow down the type of vehicle and who could possibly have been there at the same time that Richard was. It was learned that the tire tracks were from Goodyear Integrity Tires, which unfortunately is a very common and popular tire, and this would mostly end up being a dead end for them. But then a phone call from an IT tech that worked at the spine clinic with Stacy changed everything. The tech was calling to let the police know that while he was cleaning out junk mail from Stacy's accounts, he noticed that her inbox for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was completely empty, which of course is very unusual. But the clinic actually kept backups of all the company emails, and this tech was offering to provide them to the police. In total, they received about 4,000 emails to dig through. And among them, they found a request to transfer $8,902 from a real estate account that actually belonged to the doctor's office, and it was supposed to go into the personal account of somebody named Lenitra Ross. Further investigation showed that somebody also transferred $1,100 to Lenitra's personal account on February the 12th, which was just two days before Richard was killed. So, of course, the police are like, what's going on here? Right. Lenitra Ross was an office administrator at the Spine Center with Stacy, and the two had become friends through work. Police started looking into her when they found out about the suspicious money transfers that were requested by Stacy. They learned that Lenitra was actually renting a house that was owned by Stacy, so they went there to talk to her. When they asked her about the $8,900, she told them that Stacy had given her money in exchange for repairs to this rental house. 
At this point, nothing Lenitra is saying is really that suspicious. And for all anyone knows, she could have been totally in the dark about where Stacy got the money from to pay her. So they kept investigating other leads. Stacy's cousin Connie spoke with investigators, and during their course of conversation, she told them that her and Stacy's grandparents had asked Stacy to sell their Impala and use that money to pay for their medical expenses, her grandparents. Connie said she didn't know where the Impala was now, though, and Stacy said she sold it for $14,000, but evidently she never gave that money to the grandparents. As it turned out, the Impala was actually at Lenitra's house, and another trip over there confirmed that it was the Impala in question, and also that it had Goodyear Integrity tires on it. So the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together, but investigators needed solid evidence, so they started thinking about possible theories. From looking at the scene, the killer had been waiting for Richard when he arrived at the park. They wondered what someone waiting in a park might do and thought maybe they would make a phone call. So that's when they started looking into phone records, starting with Stacy's. With Stacy's consent, the police extracted data from her phone and found that on Valentine's Day, she'd been texting back and forth with her friend and tenant, Lenitra. They also saw texts about a money transfer from before February 14th and saw that there were phone calls between the two of them as well. Next, they obtained records from cell phone towers near the park and saw that Lenitra did speak to someone on the phone at about 8.40 on the evening of the murder, which coincidentally was right about the same time that it was believed Richard was killed. It wasn't Lenitra that Stacy talked to, though. It was Reginald, or Reggie, Coleman, who was a local celebrity of sorts. Reggie was known around town as Mr. Results. He was a former semi-professional boxer turned personal trainer who held boot camp sessions at the spine clinic. But that's not all. Reggie was also dating Lenitra at the time of the murder. So why was he calling Stacy? To find out more, investigators did a deep dive into Lenitra and Reggie's phone records as well. What they found was that all three of them had actually been calling and texting each other since January 2010. One afternoon, Stacy and Lenitra met up for lunch, and Stacy told Lenitra that she wanted to have her husband killed because she believed he was molesting her two sons. Lenitra told Stacy that her boyfriend Reggie actually did, quote, work like this on the side for extra money, which he kills people on the side for extra money. Like, what? He's Mr. (laughs) Results. Apparently, nobody asked specifically what the results were. (laughs) Yeah. So she told Stacy that he might be willing to do this hit on Richard. She promised that she would ask him and get back to Stacy and let her know what he said. A few days later, Stacy hadn't heard anything, so she texted Lenitra and asked if she had talked to Reggie yet. And Lenitra responded that she had, and so they all set up a meeting to kind of go over everything. It was January 18th when Stacy and Reggie met up and began making a plan. Lenitra had the idea for the killing to take place in a secluded area, so Stacy suggested Belton Bridge Park as a possible option, and she chose this spot because it was conveniently located near her grandparents' house, and she thought it would be a good spot to murder someone. Stacy said that she would tell Richard she wanted to meet him there and exchange Valentine's Day gifts, and that would kind of be her way to lure him there for Reggie to kill him. Stacy did have some specific criteria that she wanted the murder to meet as well. She didn't want Richard to suffer, so she wanted him to be killed with a single shot to the head. Next, Reggie would stage the scene to look like a robbery gone wrong. 
When the murder was complete, Lenitra would then send a text to Stacy that said, Happy Valentine's Day, which was their code for Richard has been killed. So that was their plan. We're going to get into what happened next after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. As someone who loves all things storytelling and comedy, I jumped at taking a masterclass by the king of comedic storytelling, David Sedaris. I'm in my eighth lesson, and it's really unlike anything I've ever taken. I've read many, many of David's stories and his books, so to hear how he's able to take this crazy moment in his life and spin it into a hilarious story later, it's like lifting the veil and taking a peek inside his mind. You can even take notes as you go along with masterclass, and you also have downloadable lesson recaps to keep your new knowledge fresh in your mind. What you'll really enjoy about this and other masterclasses is that the lessons are easy to pull up on your phone or laptop, or you can even listen to them like you're listening to our podcast right now. The lessons are about 10 minutes in length and there's no nonsense. It's really just straight to the point. And hearing from those who have mastered their fields leaves you hanging on every word. The sky is the limit in terms of what you can learn and who you can learn from. With masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn knife skills with Gordon Ramsay, improve your communication skills with Robin Roberts, or learn how to design stunning floral arrangements with Maurice Harris. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is so much closer than you can imagine. We highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass, and as a Moms and Murder listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash momsandmurder now. That's masterclass.com slash momsandmurder for 15% off masterclass. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I started my journey with therapy when I was a teenager. And sure, I didn't have to travel up the hill for five miles in the snow, but I did have to call a person to schedule and then drive to the location, wait in a lobby, and then meet face-to-face with a therapist. Thanks to BetterHelp, I can still get all the benefits of therapy without ever having to leave the house. When you sign up for BetterHelp, you answer a few questions, and based on your answers, you're given the option of several therapists that may be a good fit for you. You can look through their bios and even their reviews to find out who would be a good match, and then you can get started right away. Whether you deal with stress, depression, anxiety, or more, BetterHelp can connect you with someone who you can talk to about what you're going through. Just having an outsider giving me a new perspective is really invaluable. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash moms. That's betterhelp.com slash moms. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. 
And now back to the episode. So before the break, we're talking about the police uh, putting together really what what happened that night with Richard. So it was agreed that Stacy would pay Reggie $10,000 and on top of that would give him her parents' Chevy Impala, which was valued at $15,000, which would explain why that car was found parked at Lenitra's house. For Lenitra's participation, Stacy said she would give her the deed to the house that she was renting. These are like, as far as like contract killings go, this is a lot. I mean, you're giving yeah, somebody house, a house car, car, money. I know. And honestly, every time I saw in the research that the Impala was valued at $15,000, I was just like, oh, yeah, it's 1980s because that I, that doesn't make any sense to me to think about an Impala being worth yeah. $15,000. Not like a 1980 Impala might be worth right. <laughs> yeah. $15,000 today. <laughs> yeah. And so Reggie didn't have a gun to use, though, so Stacy gave him $600, which she took out of an ATM, to go out and buy one. And the plan was that after he used the gun for the shooting, he would dispose of it. On January 23rd, the three of them actually drove to the park at Belton Bridge and did a run-through of the murder. After testing this plan, Stacy transferred $8,900 into Reggie's account and gave him the bill of sale for the Impala, promising to have the remaining $1,100 paid to him before the murder. Lenitra even warned Stacy that if she didn't give Reggie the rest of the money by Valentine's Day, he would not murder Richard. I love how he's like, if you don't give me $1,000 after you already gave me a $15,000 car and almost $9,000, like, I'm just not doing this. I'm totally out. Like, he was not playing. But Stacy did as promised, and she gave him the rest of the money on February 12th. On the 14th, the plan was in motion. Stacy left work and met Richard at her grandparents' house and told him to head to Belton Bridge Park, where she would meet him there shortly. Richard left about 45 minutes before Stacy, who was just waiting at her grandparents' house to get the call from Lenitra or Reggie. Finally, Lenitra called and asked what color Richard's vehicle was which I feel like they've done a run-through. Shouldn't you know what color his right. truck is before this? So a short time later, Lenitra texted Stacy their secret code. Happy Valentine's Day. Richard had just been shot to death. To be sure the job was done, Stacy tried calling Richard's phone. He didn't answer, so she left her grandparents' house and headed over to the park as planned. When she pulled in at around 9 p.m., her headlights shined on Richard's body laying next to his truck. Stacy immediately noticed that something had gone awry with the murder. Richard had been shot more than once, and Reggie didn't stage a scene at all to look like a robbery gone wrong. At this point, though, Stacy has no choice but to call 911 and act like an upset wife who just found her husband shot to death in a parking lot. The investigation revealed that Richard did have a life insurance policy for $560,000, which could have also provided additional motive to his murder. It was also theorized that Richard could have found out about Stacy's affair. Once investigators had gathered all the evidence and interviewed numerous people, learned about the money transfers, how Stacy had given away a house and a car, and everything else, it was pretty much an open and shut case. The first to be arrested was Reggie. He was arrested at his home on May 25, 2010. Lenitra was then arrested, possibly during a traffic stop, but possibly at home. The sources are unclear. And Stacy was the last to be picked up by the police. They found her at her office, but when they got there, she was hiding out in a room that she had barricaded herself in, and eventually she did surrender. But, oh my gosh, sometimes I just get, like, secondhand embarrassment for people who do this kind of thing, where they, like, lock right. themselves in a room and, like, refuse to come out. 
for a period of time, you know, it's like, what, come on, like, what are you doing? They're not going to go home. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, gonna- I guess she's not here. <laughs> right. You're not the best hide and go seeker in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so all three of them were interviewed again. And Lenitra said that she had no idea what was going on. She claimed to be nothing more than an innocent bystander in all of this. Reggie completely denied having any involvement at all. Officers told Stacy that they already knew Reggie and Lenitra helped her, but they still didn't understand why she wanted Richard to be killed. She told him the same thing that she had told Lenitra, that she believed Richard was molesting her sons. She thought this because one of her boys allegedly told her about it. And having been sexually abused herself, Stacy said that she just wanted to protect her sons from going through the same thing she went through. She didn't want to go through getting a divorce or going to the police. She just wanted him dead. Stacy admitted that she told all of this to Lenitra before the murder and that it was Lenitra who volunteered her boyfriend for the job. Stacy confessed to their whole plan and how it came about, but at the end of the interview, she told the police that since Richard had been killed, she actually had learned the truth that he had not molested her kids. My gosh. Yes. So according to Stacy, the son that originally alleged that he'd been molested by Richard later said to her, quote, I'm sorry I exaggerated. I'm sorry that I said those things. I blew those things out of proportion, end quote. And we really don't have any more information about right. exactly what happened there, but I, I kind of wish we did know more what, you know, what exactly happened there. I don't believe that Richard, you know, did anything to, to those kids, but it, it's it does a make It's just a wild you, thing to say, I right. blew things out of proportion. Right. Like that's what happened there. there I'm not saying the with story. Richard. Yeah, there's right. more that we don't know, obviously. Yes, on June 10th, 2010, Stacy, Lenitra, and Reggie were all indicted with malice murder. Stacy and Reggie were both facing the death penalty for their role, but Stacy was offered a deal, testify against the others, and the death penalty would be taken off the table. Lenitra was offered 20 years if she were to testify against the others, but she actually refused that deal because she didn't want to testify against Reggie. Oh my gosh. I know. Stacy and Reggie both ended up pleading guilty. Stacy entered her plea on December 3rd, 2012, and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Reggie pleaded guilty to murder, as well as felony possession of a firearm and possessing a firearm during a crime. He was also sentenced to life without parole for the murder and five years for each of those firearm offenses. Lenitra's trial began on May 15th, 2012 in Hall County. Prosecutors told the jury that she was essentially the middleman who, quote, helped, advised, encouraged, hired, counseled, and procured, end quote, which is a lot of words for she's pretty guilty, too. Right. Her defense said that there wasn't enough evidence to convict her and that the evidence they did have didn't prove that she actually knew anything about the murder for hire. They randomly alleged that Lenitra thought Stacy was hiring Reggie for a carjacking, which is also a crime. So we're still, we're kind of in the weeds at this point. So they said the jury shouldn't listen to anything Stacy had to say on the stand because she was, quote, the most despicable person, end quote, involved in the case. As part of her deal to avoid the death penalty, Stacy testified at Lenitra's trial and admitted to hiring Reggie to murder Richard because she thought at the time that he was molesting her kids. She talked about her own experience as a victim of sexual abuse and how it made her want Richard dead. She also admitted that she learned after his death that he had done nothing wrong. 
The jury ended up finding Lenitra guilty of murder on May 22nd, 2012, and later that year, she was sentenced to life without parole. Lenitra did appeal her conviction and sentenced to the Supreme Court of Georgia on the grounds that, number one, the judge shouldn't have let the prosecution submit the cell phone records as evidence at the trial, and number two, that her counsel was ineffective. Her appeal was denied, though, on February 2nd, 2015. Both Stacy and Lenitra are serving their sentences in Pulaski State Prison. How does that work? I never know when like co-conspirators are like in the same prison. Do you yeah. see each other all the time? I know. I don't get wings? that either. We watch Jailbirds. We know there's toilet talking. There's ways to talk to these people. Right. It just seems this is one of the first times I, I can think of somebody being in the same prison, right? I mean, I'm sure they're not like about. cellmates, you know, but yeah, sure. it's kind of I'm sure they see each other at least in right? passing. I don't know. That is really weird. Yeah. Stacy became very religious and went on to get her associate degree in biblical studies, and she's currently working on a bachelor in theology. Reggie is incarcerated in Smith State Prison. As for Stacy's two youngest sons, they went to live with Stacy's mom, who has been taking care of them since their dad was killed. Wow. Valentine's Day murder. I just don't understand. I know. And like... Uh, Coming from her history and what she had gone through, like you can see that her she might not have been in the right frame of mind at the time that this was going on, not making the best decisions, maybe thinking she was taking care of her kids, but like clearly there wasn't a lot of communication going on. And and sad. once again, it always blows my mind when you have people who have no business getting involved in situations like this, and you know, like Lenitra and Reggie, like why oh did gosh. they? It, just, I don't get it when there's so or many what? people involved and nobody says, hey, this is not a great idea. You know, let's not do this. Or I don't know. I mean, as her friend, you know, Lenitra, I don't know if my friend was saying this, like, I think, you know, that this is going on. I just want to kill him. I want him dead. Like, I would definitely be like, hold on. <laughs> like, you know, like, there's another option. Right. Like, there's other things that we can do here. You know, let's calm down and think rationally. But, I, I don't get it. I'm glad that I – I hope that I don't have any friends that would support me if I said that I wanted to kill somebody. Like that's Well, just... if you want to, tell me because you know I'm going to talk <laughs> you right out of it. I will be yeah. that friend that's like, no, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and move on to last thing before we go? I think. I think so too. I don't know exactly how this one's going to go. Truly, truly, truly off the cuff segment here. So Melissa, what what do you think we're doing? What do you think we're doing? <laughs> okay. I sent Mandy one TikTok video that was a girl talking about living in a simulation and how she knows it because cars and buses drive on the same lanes. And how the heck do you get a car on the same, like that you can touch the other side of the car, right? From one side to the other, you can touch the window and a bus that has an aisle and like four seats on each shot or, you know, two seats on each side. How do both of those go on the same lane? Right. Like, is there a glitch in the matrix? And I don't really think these things, but when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh. Right. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Melissa sent me that video because, of course, you know, we've talked before. You're the only I'm, person I could yeah, send it to. I love silly little <laughs> conspiracy things that you can like dive into and just have fun with um, and lose a lot of time on TikTok and Reddit and all of that. So I'm really into that. The simulation hypothesis, Melissa, is actually hypothesis. a thing. And that's what I was kind of telling you. I was like, yeah, like there's actually a lot of people who um, get into this conspiracy theory that we are living in a simulated reality. So this like became kind of popularized like 
in its current form by this guy named Nick Bostrom. And I pulled all this straight off of Wikipedia. So um, I am obviously This isn't our regular using, research. Yeah, I'm obviously <laughs> using only the best sources of information here. And Reddit will also be sourced for this <laughs> segment. So, but yeah, so this is a, is a simulation hypothesis. And there's been like many other like scenarios throughout history and like different theories that have kind of been similar to this, where we're actually just living in this like computerized reality. And it's like designed to make us believe that it's real. Like, oh my gosh, like it's a computer simulation that convinces us the inhabitants that the simulation is real. So Lots of people think this. And even even if you Google this idea, like you'll get tons of even articles on like mainstream like things where people are like commenting on this and talking about this and everything. So and then there's a whole thing on Reddit. There's a a subreddit that I have followed for a long time. Like for years, I just will sit up at night sometimes and read some of the stuff in here. Obviously, I feel like some of it is maybe all of it is made up. (laughs) But um, It's a subreddit called um, Glitch in the Matrix. So if you um, like these kind of crazy stories and stuff, like Melissa was saying about, you know, things that people are pointing out that are weird and would be like glitches in the matrix or like proving that life is a simulation. There's tons of stories there. So um, I don't know what else you're bringing to the table for this last thing before we go, but I did pull up some Reddit things that were interesting that I was going to read and then we can be creeped out together and you can tell me. Oh, (laughs) okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I have a personal theory. Can I tell you my personal theory? Of course. I don't really believe in a glitch in the matrix, but I do believe I am living in the Truman Show. And I think this because I'm pretty sure nobody's life is looks like mine and I'm j- I like have convinced myself at times that like everyone just goes back to their home and they're all paid actors and stuff and the producers whenever things go crazy I always tell our the third mom Stacy I'll be like you'll never guess what the producers did to me today because it'll just be some wild crazy thing that like my kid does or whatever and you know 18 things going wrong at once and I'm like they're really getting their money's worth on my yeah. <laughs> show of my life so I think that's pretty narcissistic and I should maybe look into glitch in the matrix instead because my <laughs> My Sims character is really heading for a meltdown any day now. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like I see it all over the place. I've even seen it on TikTok where people will post stuff like things like feelings that you just can't explain. I feel like everybody has moments like that where they're just like you just have like a sudden thought or a feeling and you can't really describe it and you're like, what is going on here? But right. like one that I saw recently was a TikTok where somebody had taken like a little quick video. They were at the airport and they were just like taking a video of, you know, just the activity going on and people sitting around the airport and people walking around. And but like their little caption thing was like, there is no way everybody in this airport is a real person. But it was like, <gasps> you know, like, you know, like, you know, common if you understand what I'm saying. You know, here, but it was like every like a lot of people flock to it and they're like, oh my gosh, this happens to me. Like every time I travel, I always think that like I am the right. only real person like in the place. I you think know? it's narcissism. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> but it is crazy. It's like the weirdest. I don't know. It's weird. I get it. It's weird. Okay. So I do you want me to read you one of the some Please. of this here? Okay. So I found some of these. I didn't dig very deep because like I said, I am always in reading on these glitch in the matrix ones. So these have actually been posted recently. So this person, I'm not even going to try and say what their name is. Yeah, it's no. just a bunch of letters. Um, so basically his post said that he saw his friend disappear. He said, 
I pulled up to my friend's apartment complex and he came down the stairs and hit the landing but never came out the other side. There was nowhere for him to go unless he was squatting down in the staircase. It was like a magic trick. I was with my other buddy and we were dumbfounded. What was odd was he never looked up at us as we honked at him too, almost like he was in his own world. So we got out of the car to investigate and couldn't find him anywhere. We go up and knock on his door and he answered and he was at home saying he hadn't left all day. Mandy. (laughs) He was wearing the same clothes too. Talk with my friends about, about, or wait, I still talk with my friends about it to this day. Has anyone else seen someone disappear? (laughs) My stomach hurts so bad. Like, I don't know if it's because it's a familiar feeling and I've had it happen to me before and the matrix fixed it in my brain and I don't think it anymore. (laughs) But yeah, isn't that kind of like... I don't know. And then sometimes sometimes I read these and I'm like, there's no way it's real. But then people comment, like people have commented on this thread with similar stories. And I'm like, how all these people can't be making this up. Like everybody can't be making this up. (laughs) Oh, I wish they were. Isn't it crazy? Okay. I know. Okay. So I have one more. All right. So this one is really, this one also is really creepy. (laughs) Okay. So this person, this is posted by somebody with the name of Apocalypse Tea Party. (laughs) Oh, freaking A. Okay, so it said, I was taking a shower and just staring aimlessly at the shower head, dreaming and pondering of the things that one ponders of during a shower. The shower head had a mirrored surface, and I slowly realized that Though I was staring directly at it, my reflection's eyes were looking off to the left. For a moment or two, I wondered how that was possible and what trick of the beveling was causing my reflection to be looking away when suddenly my reflection's eyes shifted and looked directly at me and they continued to return my gaze for the rest of the shower as if nothing had been awry or or happened. It's never happened before or since. So basically, my reflection wasn't looking at me and then it was. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like, I know it's not true, but my voice is so high now that I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I read one thing that was like, remember the Yanni Laurel gold dress, blue dress? Yes. That whole phenomenon. And that being like, how could we all hear the same thing, but not actually hear the same thing? We all hear the same tone, but some people hear Yanni, some people hear Laurel, and how that could be a glitch in the matrix. I don't know. I know. So yeah, so there's so many creepy and just like skin crawly kind of stories. Melissa, I don't think you'll be checking them out. But no, um, absolutely not like that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, like I do. Or if you have ever heard about this um, simulation theory, it is one that I love to just, you know, like I said, waste time. Yeah. So there's a show called Made for Love on HBO. And the whole idea is this guy like has created this own his own world. He marries this lady. She comes to live in it. It's a perfect world. Sun, beautiful. Everything. It's the same. Every day it's the same thing, basically. Right. Well, one day she kind of notices like literally a glitch in the sun, like where something's like shorting out or something and then kind of realizes she's in this whole thing. And it's fascinating. But now like I'm like, how could somebody just make that up? How could somebody yeah. just make up this idea? Maybe it's a real thing. They're basing it off a true story. Maybe it's my life. Maybe this is – but, like, mine is not going that well. Hers is going great. Right. Mine is a dumpster fire. Well, here's – okay, <laughs> here's, on the other side. I have another – here's one that I bet you a lot of people have had happen or can relate to, even you. And I still just don't have a good explanation other than it's just a crazy coincidence. But then it doesn't ever feel like a coincidence when it happens. But you know – 
when you're thinking of a song or you're, you just randomly start singing a song and then it comes on next or it's like the next thing that plays or it's the first thing yes. that plays when you open up your, you know, music playing app or something. And it's like, what? Like, like how is that? There's no way. There's no way, right? But it happens often enough where you're just like, hold on. Like, how did I just think of the thing that I heard? And it's not just with music and songs. Like, sometimes I'll do it with, like, other things or I'll, I'll be like, oh, well, what if this – or I'll just have a, th- a flashing thought. Right. Like, what if this happens? And then, like, within the next, like, five minutes, that exact thing happens. And I'm like, what happened here? Like, how? I know. How? You know? So it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. This is too much. I have learned from TikTok that I've never had an original thought in my entire life. Right. Every weird thing, like I've done it, somebody else has done it, which makes me feel less like bizarre, which is a nice feeling, um, but also definitely makes me think I'm probably not a part of my own Sims universe because like, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not that unique anymore. <laughs> But then that also kind of supports the simulation. Oh no, theory, no, 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 right, no. right. Yeah. Like there's only so many things that you can program into a simulation. So that would make sense why everyone has the same experiences. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, I think we should end this too year. much. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> way too much for a murder podcast. <laughs> okay, all righty. Well, that is it for the week. Um, I hope you guys sleep well tonight. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> all right, Just well, power we- down. Turn the turn it off. <laughs> Hold the. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.